This is a Crow's Nest podcast. Uh, hello, and welcome back to Damsels Who Discuss. We are a podcast where we discuss our way through Disney films, and I'm... Uh, we're about to get to the boring ones. I am Alexia, and I just reminded myself of why I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> and I'm Gally, and... I'm midway looking forward to it. I'm midway looking forward to it. So today's movie is Fantasia, but before we get into Fantasia, out of like the next, because we, you and I had a just a chit chat yesterday where we read through the list. Out of the like five movies that I listed that were in the upcoming ones, how many of them have you already actually seen? Because I will let you know that the answer for me is zero. Mm, that is such a good question. Um, I <clears throat> I have a weird feeling that I think I've seen all of these. That's fair. Because I used to watch the Disney Channel when I was a kid. Because I remember that um, being a really big deal on our cable package. It was one of those new cable Mm -hmm. packages. Um, And they used to show a lot of Disney classics. So weirdly, I I do remember these. Because we're talking about... What are we talking about? The Three Um, Caballeros, Make My Music, Ichabod, Mr. Toad. Yeah. Saludos amigos. Fun and Fancy Free. Is that all of them? Did I get them all? Fun and Fancy Free. Yes. Uh And and the only ones that you're excluding are the feature links, which are Dumbo and Bambi. I didn't include those because those are the ones that people actually know about. This is true. (laughs) I didn't. Sorry. I meant to say at the beginning of this, not including Dumbo and Bambi because those (laughs) are the ones that people already know about. I meant the ones that people like me maybe haven't because I didn't have a Disney channel when I was growing up so otherwise you know for those of us who are under the age of say 25 or something when you didn't have to wait for your parents to bring you home a VHS you know yeah it was what did you have or what did your friends have and we I didn't have all of Disney movies but I we had most of the big ones like Lion King Beauty and the Beast Bambi I didn't have Dumbo but I'd seen it at maybe my cousin's house, but I don't know anyone like I didn't go to anyone's house or my cousin's house or no one's house that had those five other ones. Oh, nobody. And same, like I remember watching them myself. I don't remember having a conversation with any other human being on the planet about those movies. Exactly. But I do remember watching them on the Disney channel. You know, I feel the same way about Fantasia and that I know I've seen it and everyone I know has seen it, but I've never been like, oh my God, Fantasia and like had a conversation. Okay, maybe I'm weird, but I've never just had a conversation about this movie. I must have. I must have. But it may have just been with my parents because I have a little bit of a history with Fantasia in that I, I remember actually enjoying it quite a bit um, because my parents used to take me to a lot of like classical uh, music concerts. Mm-hmm. as a kid so that being paired with my interest in animation and illustration it was kind of like a nice movie for me but I think I remember Fantasia 2000 a lot more which was when it was released in IMAX and there were some extra things added to it and it was like a whole big fun crazy experience um, I cannot right. recall at all the original Fantasia I know that I, I, we owned the original Fantasia on VHS, that I know, and I, and because of that, I watched it several times, but I think I always used it mostly as background noise that happened to have pictures in front of it, because, because some of them are more visually interesting than others, you know, there were some that I just remember leaving the room altogether in, 
no offense to the orchestra but all the live action ones i was kind of like time for snacks and just bounced right well i mean since we're already getting started i was like why don't we just get into it it. (laughs) yeah yeah you want me to you want me to do my summary yes because i didn't want to do it (laughs) i didn't want to do it Okay, so for those of you who are not familiar with what Fantasia is, we are talking about the original 1940 Fantasia film, not Fantasia 2000, The Reckoning, which came out in (laughs) 2000. So Fantasia is an acid trip for PBS subscribers who, in theory, like roller coasters, but find them a little too disruptive. A revolutionary animated anthology film that was released in 1940 and loved by everyone except the snootiest of classical music fuddy-duddies, <laughs> this is a journey through time, space, silhouettes, and some light audience judgment for good measure. There's not really a thir- through plot for the film. Each segment is introduced by a composer slash critic who deemed himself master of ceremonies. Ah, the dude's name is Deems Taylor. Ah! Um... But if we ignore the distinct segment breaks, here's the plot, as I understand it, of Fantasia in its entirety. I'm excited. Silhouettes of people long dead mix with warm-up drawings for the animators as Toccata and Fugue and D minor inspire brightly colored cotton balls or Adorabers if you're into the Dragon Prince on Netflix. Shout out to that. Uh, One of my favorites. Right? So good. (laughs) So good. To eschew their fluffy bodies and become nude fairies who spread their glittery jizz across all of nature as the Nutcracker Suite ramps up. I have (laughs) written down that someone let all the sky dancers loose. (laughs) The mushrooms officially kick in at the 17 minute mark and are a welcome (laughs) distraction before we get the fairy money shot and the world is officially covered in their leavings. Meanwhile... Somewhere in a castle far above the Jizzy Forest, we find our hero, Mickey, the sorcerer's apprentice, doing menial chores that wouldn't be so bad if he weren't so lazy. (laughs) He does what any red-blooded American would do when faced with a task deemed below them. He outsources the job to undocumented free labor. This upsets the status quo so much that the entire capitalistic society crumbles and our galaxy explodes. (laughs) Life uh finds a way (laughs) as we get to watch the worst slice of life anime emo dinosaurs shuffle about and then they die yeah yeah you kind of have to read between the lines a little to understand how this fits in with mickey's plot line but i'm pretty sure all of these dinos heard about the existence of magic and this is a very slow madcap pursuit to find mickey's magical hat but what this has to do with Primitive rituals celebrating the advent of spring as the rite of spring narrates this whole scene is beyond me. But once again, as one age ends, life begins anew as the world rebuilds the whole after the whole dino kerfuffle. We can blame their demise on a crafty little villain called the soundtrack. He <laughs> appears halfway through the film and it's clear that all of this madness is his fault. Like the coward he is, he just listens to his master, Deems Taylor, who is truly the real big bad of this film, the conductor slash music critic introduction guy. The MC. Uh, Seriously. Um, And the soundtrack slinks back into the shadows, ready to cause mischief and destruction to his unsuspecting animated victims. (laughs) 
The soundtrack waits for its next unsuspecting victims in a utopia where racism still exists because everyone only cares about hooking up with other creatures that match their skin tone. (laughs) The world has started to rebuild itself and magic has apparently skipped a generation. Sorry, dinos. Stay emo and dead. As we watch a pastoral symphony of pegasuses, centaurs, and gods have an emotional orgy on our screens. Meanwhile, we get a peek into what the rest of the world looks like, and it's strange. Mm-hmm. Anthropomorphic animals perform a ballet to an invisible audience that we must assume is the soundtrack. <laughs> like some grim dance of fate, they must prove their worthiness to the almighty soundtrack, and by extension, his master, Deems Taylor, requesting that nothing go wrong during their performance of Dance of the Hours. They bring down the house, literally, <laughs> and the soundtrack lets them off with just a little property damage. We reach the climax of our film when the madness finally becomes too much for the actual god of evil, who caves by throwing the biggest black metal festival this side of Oslo. All the best goth and metal bands attend this not-so-metal-named Night on Bald Mountain. But of course, the Dark Lord can't have his fun, and the soundtrack brings him down with the help of protesters wandering the streets, singing Ave Maria, until the film slowly backs away from this whole monstrous plot and doesn't give the audience any closure, just like this summary. I think you should have ended it after closure, just <laughs> we're halfway through, and doesn't give the audience any closure. I was thinking, I was thinking about it. It was the world's most abrupt ending to a film, especially because nothing happens in it. It's just music, 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 silence. And we got like these introductions kind of bookending each of the segments, Mm -hmm. nothing after the ending one, which I mean, I guess it's kind of appropriate that we just jumped right into that, but. um... Fair enough. But I mean, that's not exactly a surprise, but. Yeah. So the most boring ones, again, like I keep mentioning, are the live action ones because nothing happens. And that would be that beginning when you were talking about the Takata and Fugue and the intermission, which is the meeting the um, meeting the band. But I have to say it's almost worth it for the one scene after the Sorcerer's Apprentice where the dude knocks over the entire xylophone. Right. That was such a weird little like bit in there and i think it was so this used to be a a, a road show is my understanding is that fantasia used to be a road show okay and i am not sure if that was like a canned bit that they used to do but it's it was just very odd to me that a guy kind of knocked something over and they were like let's leave it in the film <laughs> yeah and it because it's all in shadows you can't exactly tell if it was staged or not but uh, i don't know it, to be perfectly fair that is a thousand percent something i would do it'd be like be careful be yeah. careful be boom right well but, but skipping takata and fugue because i'm sorry that was just fucking boring well the i first... did write one oh. i wanted to say one note about that one okay i wrote um, nothing i wrote that it looked like ghosts of orchestras passed on the walls like they they had they started by showing the silhouettes of the orchestra playing Mm -hmm. and it's either that it was ghosts or they were just a very shy orchestra both yeah very shy ghost orchestra (laughs) but yeah the the first like memorable number to me was the the nutcracker suite because that first of all i think that's some of the most recognizable classical music just because it's used in movies it is used in tv shows it is used in commercials it is the famous ballet i think everyone's seen it at least once most people who have done ballet have been in it 
Mm-hmm. You know, all of these are, you know, numbers people know, especially the the flute part. Like everyone knows that fucking part. Yeah. It's, it's just iconic music that everyone's like, oh yeah, I've heard that before somewhere. Yeah. And so so I summed it up as magical fairy jizz makes the world beautiful as mushrooms and other inanimate flora vibrate to the sounds of the universe, which happen to have a lot of flute. And it's, you're right. It is like it sounds like a hippie camp. It does sound like a hippie camp. But I thought what was what was so funny is it's recognizable now, but when you watch this, um Deems Taylor Taylor's introduction mm-hmm. is quite the opposite, where he says, um, it wasn't much of a success and nobody performs it nowadays, but I'm pretty sure you'll recognize the music of the suite when you hear it. So this guy so just like, has no idea what he's talking about. Well, apparently it didn't come into fashion until later. Like the nut, Nutcracker Suite existed, but it wasn't being performed mm-hmm. in the United States. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. Uh, things do come and go. And yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this about the Titanic again. In the same way that Titanic didn't quite come into the cultural zeitgeist until like the 80s and the 90s, because that's when technology discovered the wreck and then Cameron made a movie and all of a sudden it was like, it's accessible. Yeah, but, exactly. Oh, yeah, a lot of it is just what's in it and, and or what's out. And I know, again, speaking of the movie, apparently in 1912 or 1911, one of the big songs was that song, Jack Sings, Come Josephine in My Flying Machine. I'm like, no one knows that fucking song. Right. I also wouldn't be able to tell you what the billboard hit in like, or not billboard, like the number one song in like 1957 was. I just don't know. That's not part of my cultural knowledge. Yeah. Because it wasn't quote unquote relevant at the time. So I could see, you know, I could also see where a lot of people do know these songs because of this movie, because, you know, it they're familiar enough i'm just again like you said we grew up now when the nutcracker ballet is everywhere ubiquitous yeah Mm -hmm. basically me if you think of ballet you think of nutcracker almost yeah exactly did did you also like the little uh jab um with i'm not sure if this was old uncle walt given his i know what's best for you take again or if this was deems taylor himself but when they when he introduces this piece he's like it's funny how wrong an artist can be about his own work. <laughs> the fact that Tchaikovsky detested the Nutcracker Suite. And then we get Disney saying, he might have created this, but he doesn't know what's good for him. We know how good this is. Can I be perfectly honest and say that I didn't listen to a thing that man said? Oh, you missed some weird gems. I wrote a couple of things down from when I just like tuned in and out. But for the most part, I was like, this dude is just talking. Yeah. No, just that's saying fair. a lot of words. So I believe you, but it's just kind of like, dude, this, he, ugh, he drove me crazy. But yeah. So I did what all good people who with the podcast do and brought up the Wikipedia because I was curious about <laughs> a lot of this, especially because I know that Disney puts a lot of attention into animation and what have you. Mm-hmm. And also because this movie had that warning at the beginning. The, mm-hmm. This movie contains, what was it, depictions or portrayals of cultures or persons that may be considered offensive today, dick, 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 dock. And I was particularly wondering about where that showed up. And I read somewhere in here, here we go, um, that Art Babbitt for the Nutcracker Suite credits the Three Stooges as a guide for animating the dancing mushrooms in the Chinese dance routine. And I'm just like, I don't know exactly how to put into words why that sentence is super racist. It just is. Oh, you're you're not sure how to put into words using um, three white men who 
most likely were dressed up in yellow face to portray a dance as the basis for your animation of a section of the song called Chinese dance. Yeah, I understand that struggle. I understand. Yeah, it's it's odd because it doesn't necessarily say that he brought in the Three Stooges. But even if you're kind of like, gosh, uh, hmm, I don't know how to animate them Orientals. Why don't we? Hmm, hmm, hmm. What about those yeah. three bumbling American comedians? That'll do. That'll do. It's like you. It, that's not just. Why don't you go observe some Chinese dancers? Yeah, I'm sure you know where to find them. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the same uh, animation studio that would fl- fly people out to South America for I'm talking about our future film, um, understanding the three caballeros, not mm-hmm. South South America, Mexico. Jeez. In here in the wiki, it even says that they pr- they filmed professional ballet dancers wearing skirts cut into the shapes of flowers to animate the spinning and flowing of the flowers on the water Mm -hmm. and this is their solution to the chinese dance and their solution for the arab dance was they say they filmed an arabian dancer who they don't name by name by the way and the everyone else is named in their references Mm -hmm. just an arab dancer and they also just make them these super sexy koi fish hey once again call out sultry fish fish. yeah (laughs) but yeah it's it uh, a plus i just realized that that's going to be a theme that we're like weirdly aware of when this podcast is no uh well that but (laughs) i I meant the sultry fish we're going to keep seeing sexy sultry depictions of fish i can't think of any other movies that have goldfish or like a lot of fish in them because the because in little mermaid you have flounder who is a child fish. Yeah, and I guess I'm not going to argue that mermaids would be that depiction of the sexy sultry fish. But... Yeah, that's that would be that, but insofar as like a fish fish. I don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll we see. will see. Finding Nemo. I'm about well. to be proven wrong, I'm sure. <laughs> Three caballeros is going to have a sexy fish dance in They're it. They're gonna end up under the water and I'm gonna be so mad. <laughs> uh do we have anything else on the nutcracker suite? Because I don't. Uh, I mean, I... the the thing that I do like definitely want to call out is the the talent behind the animation is incredibly impressive. Yeah, you're talking totally. about like them looking at all of these fabrics, and when we get into it further, um, mm-hmm. water and trying to understand how to animate that is very impressive. I think but, this is but... also the one where they mentioned using new techniques because they didn't want to use hard lines in the segment. Is this this one? I I think it's you several, might be right? but yeah. it's very experimental and i think that's pretty fascinating but i'm kind of also torn about the um their selections to depict the classical music in the way you would stereotypically think and the times when they're just like nope let's just go in a completely opposite direction and not cracker sweet is one of those where i'm like it's a beautiful piece of animation yes but I don't understand it with the music. Yeah, I think that maybe the focus was on, I'm, I'm going to call this like the forensic files intro syndrome, which is where they're like, why don't we just animate every sound instead yeah. of necessarily thinking about the overall narrative structure? And, you know, this is the first one and it doesn't have an overall plot. 
I feel like by the time we get to the the pastoral symphony, they've kind of figured that out a little bit better. But yeah, this one definitely isn't quite as um it's groundbreaking a lot in the terms of the animation and its approach, but it's not exactly as you're saying, like as narratively well woven with the score as we expect from Disney. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um um all I have not then written down was about the naked sky dancers. So yeah. <laughs> that's about it. So much nudity in this movie. So, but I have naked written down like 30 times. It's pretty unreasonable. Right? I have a doodle. Awesome. When we get to it. Sweet. You know. All um, right. Yeah, let's get to Sorcerer's Apprentice. So what, you you did a little... I did the thing that I did last time, which is where I wrote two little summaries yeah. about it. My first summary is that a young apprentice wizard is instructed to fill a cauldron with water while his master is away. After enchanting a broom to do it for him and napping while his chores are done, the apprentice awakes to find that the broom has steadily worked in his sleep while he is sleeping and now flooded the broom. After several failed attempts to stop it, the master arrives just in time to cease the spells and prevent the room from flooding completely. And then I wrote down, (laughs) after ignoring a simple instruction to do a simple chore from his master, Yen Sid, Mickey Mouse steals an old bald man's magic hat and uses magic to enchant a broom whose entire life has been about labor to do his additional work for him so he can have a nap. While Mickey dreams about becoming the Avatar, the poor baby broom diligently keeps filling the cauldron with water until it starts to fill the room. When Mickey wakes up, instead of telling the broom good job, he panics and tries to stop them, and when that doesn't work, he murders them with an axe. Mm-hmm. And this broom, baby angel as they are, uses each of their broken pieces to become a whole new broom so it can keep helping their bestie, Mickey. While the new army of brooms continue to do their jobs, the entire room floods from their overworking and becomes a whirlpool of potential death, with Mickey riding his master spellbook as a raft. Yen Sid returns home just before Mickey dies and Disney's the Titanic and breaks all the spells, returning the broom to its normal one-piece inanimate self and freeing it from the shackles of repetitive Sisyphean labor. Mickey is sent to do his chores for real, and as he walks by Yen Sid, the wizard uses the very broom Mickey abused to smack Mickey on the ass as he goes. <laughs> that's what happens in this one. I mean, that's also very apt. It's an it apt is. description. The one thing, and I think you'll appreciate this um, animated fact that I really liked, was that this is the first time that Mickey was animated with pupils to increase his facial expression range. Yeah, I believe that was a uh, Fred Moore change to to change his eyeballs a little bit and it was a um something that they were worried about when they presented it to walt and i think that walt was a little iffy as well about that Mm -hmm. change but hey now it's the mickey that we all know and love and or tolerate when you visit the parks so i'm also picturing if the character had progressed without pupils that that probably something they'd add in the future I can't think of a single character that even with those cartoonish eyes that doesn't have some sort of eye injury or something that naturally has no pupils. I will admit I lost you right there with the eye injury. (laughs) Well, you know how sometimes in anime or what have you, somebody gets an eye injury and all of a sudden their eyes are like whited out for some fucking reason, because that's definitely what happens when you have an eye injury. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not what I mean. There's an exception where it's like, or I was born this way. Yeah. But, you know, no, for defaults in this, even if a character is broken down as simple as like the Astro Boy style of animation, they still have pupils. Yeah, they really do. Um, mm-hmm. 
pupils and whites of your eyes to really help with expression. Yeah. (laughs) So I, this is a really silly fact, but as someone who did not play Kingdom Hearts, I did not realize that Yen Sid was the name of the wizard, that he was based off of Walt himself, and that Yen Sid is just Disney spelled backwards. So Mm -hmm. there you go. Those are three fun facts for people who didn't play Kingdom Hearts. I think somebody had to tell me this at one point, because why would I read anything backwards? I don't do that. Yeah, right. I did after that, once someone told, I think they told me all three of those facts at one time at one point, but um, this is another one when, I mean, this is the character on the cover. This Mm -hmm. is how Fantania, Fantania, Fantasia is (laughs) advertised. (laughs) So Fantasia is advertised. Like this is the iconic imagery from Fantasia. This is the segment. I think if you mention Fantasia, this might be one of the ones that people are most likely to remember. Even if they don't remember the soundtrack. Yeah. And I think, um, I totally agree with you. It is between, I would say, Sorcerer's Apprentice and Night on Bald Mountain. Those are the two iconic um, visuals. Really? I was going to go for that and the Pastoral Symphony. Ooh, see, that's another good one, too. I'm just thinking, I know Night on Bald Mountain, the, um, the, the Chenoborg or whatever his mm-hmm, name is, mm-hmm. the god of evil, just that scene of him kind of coming out of the mountain and looking yep. very demonic with his hands up and everything. That's pretty iconic, along with Mickey um, raising the water. Yeah, in the dream. <laughs> Little Mermaiding, really. It's the yes. same scene for Little Mermaid. It's also the scene from a uh, last airbender. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, maybe it's just because I personally didn't remember the imagery from night on bald mountain as strongly. I think it also could do with, could do with age. I was really young yeah. when I saw this. So, you know, colorful ponies might have just been something that simply stuck in my brain more, but regardless of which one comes second or what have you, I think sorcerer's apprentice does and always will stick out. Did you did you know that uh, originally it was supposed to be Dopey in the role of the Sorcerer's Apprentice and not Mickey? No, I did not. If you kind of watch it and the way that I, Mickey is now that you've said movies, that, yeah, now that you've said that, I see it, especially in the scene where he's trying to enchant the broom and the sleeves keep coming over his hands. Yeah, interesting. Why? Well, I was going to Google this, but you probably like why? What? Ha, what? That I don't know. I would. Okay. I, I. I will be honest. I learned that fact and went. Oh, no. Okay, moving on. But it really would have brought some depth to the lore of the dwarves and why they exist. To know <laughs> that Dopey used to be a sorcerer's apprentice, and then he moved on to Snow White or something. I don't know. Maybe Do- Dopey's a D and D character. Uh, that would be pretty fantastic. I'm googling it right now. Right. It says, Conductor Leopold Stokowski made this pitch. What would you think of creating an entire new personality for this film instead of using Mickey, a personality that could represent you and me? You may have strong reasons for wishing Mickey to be the hero, but I feel that if you create a new personality which represents every one of us, it might be a valuable factor in the years to come and enlarge the scope. This is merely a suggestion. Discard immediately if it does not interest you. (laughs) Walt did disregard immediately. (laughs) That's what it certainly sounds like. (laughs) Also, why Dopey? I don't, I I still haven't quite found an answer to that. I don't, it doesn't, 
it it the explanation I'm getting is that Walt said no because he because Mickey is every mouse. Mickey is every mouse. That seems to be the explanation that I'm getting. But now that you've mentioned, I think now that you mentioned that, and I'm thinking I once again procrastinated and watched this literally five minutes before we recorded. <laughs> but because of that, I remember really vividly this animation. I it's very typical of the way Dopey is animated. It it's very atypical of the way that Mickey is animated in anything else. He yeah. usually has a little bit more stick likes, not the word that I want, but a little bit more intention, not like behind his movements, a little bit more intention, but it's a little less floppy in that. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's almost like he, it, Mickey is animated with less joints, if that <laughs> yeah. makes sense. Like, but like Dopey's way fluid. He's a little bit more Gumby like. And when you watch it, especially anything to do with the hands, there's a lot of fluidity to the fingers and the arms and the hands, which is again, not very Mickey Mouse. No, no. But when I was watching it, it was just whatever, whatever, whatever. I don't care. But now that you've mentioned it, I'm like, I can't unsee that. Even just looking at the still image that comes up when it mentions that, where he's conducting and leaning over his head backwards and smiling, it reminds me of something like, I think Dopey does that exact pose at one point in time in Snow White, except instead of conducting, he's like, yeah, it's a very ragdoll pose. Yeah. Now that it's like, now that that fact's been brought up, it's like, I can totally see that. So what I was wondering, when Mickey enchanted his brooms, why didn't he make them nice and buff? Mm-hmm. Like, I did a little doodle. You did, of some buff excellent broom. buff art. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And it's kind of disappointing. I I don't disagree. Especially because, you know, you're asking it to carry water, which is heavy. It needs yeah. It needs some strength, some arms instead of literal twig arms that he gave it. Yeah, no wonder that, you know, Broom wasn't as efficient. And if you gave him more buff arms, he could have carried like four buckets at once. Thing would be done before Mickey fell asleep. And really the entire, entire issue would have been over. He also didn't, pro- he programmed it to do a thing, but not to stop. And that's sort of the, you need, there needs to be an end mechanism. Yeah. And I guess that was kind of part of the plot is like, don't yeah. try to learn something unless you're going to learn the entire process um there's always a moral uh, involved there was a moral with this what the hell was the moral in nutcracker suite i don't know i think it's yeah i was going to say be careful where you do your acid (laughs) i was talking to my mom about this movie earlier today i was like it's still going talking about fantasia (laughs) and she goes yeah because the only people who watched it in theaters and enjoyed it were people on acid Thanks, Mom. 1940, would it have been Coke? Like, actual, literal Coke? She said acid, but also she wasn't born until 1960, so, like, she wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she uh, the only other notable thing I have is that immediately between this and the next number is when um, the xylophone break happens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I I wrote a poem. Okay. Um, I did not. F- familiar beats in this poem. Okay. Mickey Mouse got an axe, gave his broom 40 wax. The broom came back with friends galore. So, oh God, I had to rewrite this. <laughs> Let me start over. Okay. Mickey Mouse got an axe, gave his broom 40 wax. The broom came back with friends galore. So Mickey grabbed his axe for 40 more. <laughs> yeah, he went a little slash happy. Little slash happy, which is also a thing that was surprising to me about it being a Mickey portrayal. That he, I don't, 
That seems very out of character. But then again, I guess we're supposed to just be like, it's a broom. Who cares? Right. Exactly. It's fine. It's inanimate. Don't worry about it. It's not human. Nobody cares about brooms anyway. Yeah. Dog's trying to get in the So after our orchestral awkwardness where orchestra giggles, that was great. Little bit of levity. Hardy uh, hard, did enjoy. Yeah, we get into Rite of Spring. Which um, is like the worst song ever. I'm sorry. I I am not a fan of Stravinsky's Rite of Spring. It is boring. And my I had the summary on this one again. Yeah. I didn't even do. All right. The Rite of Spring. After we watched life come about on Earth, we witnessed the birth, fight, death, and extinction of the dinosaurs. My actual summary is the dinosaurs all fucking die. That's all I have. I mean, that's also explanatory. Like, theoretically, I could get more into it because it technically, as our conductor informed us, number one, he says he they visualized it as a pageant, which is the weirdest thing to say about this. And I don't understand what it means. Yeah, I mean, I guess at the very end, we see a procession of dinosaurs dying. I guess you could think of that as like a pageant of them walking across the stage going, hello, look at me, look at me, look at my bones, look at me die, goodbye. Hashtag vibes. Hashtag vibes. I have no idea, but it, so he describes it as that. And then technically it starts with, I don't know. He gives us a big lecture about how this is exactly as science would have depicted it. Science, not art, made this segment. Okay, sir. Yes, that pissed me off a little bit because there's a couple of points in this movie where they essentially go, listen, you uncultured swine, music is better than visual art, but we're going to have to explain to you what visual art is because you can't picture it in your stupid heads. Oh, but also art is not as good as science. So everything that we're telling you about here, ignore it. It's kind of like in Pinocchio where the, uh, I think, moral of the story was don't join theater. Art is bad. Basically. Oh, no, it was uh, you should indulge in restraint Mm -hmm. and work and restrain from pleasure and anything that makes you happy. Yeah, exactly. So in this case, if you're a dinosaur, don't be an artistic dinosaur, I guess. Be a science dino. Yeah, and some of these are more interesting than others. You know, I think, you know, The Sorcerer's Apprentice has a linear plot. Mm-hmm. Um, the Pastoral Symphony is just, like, kind of pretty and fun to watch. The Night on the Bald Mountain is, you know, just a dark party. There's some of these that are, and, um, oh, 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 the, uh, shoot, the Dance of the Hours is just kind of, like, a silly good time. Yeah. So some of these are fun, but honestly, The Rite of Spring is terrible. It is not a great song. It is not even interesting for children, it is, and it is boringly animated. It's animated in the same way that you would sort of create animations to go along with um, a classroom videotape. Yeah, and actually, speaking of classroom, there was a, a section here um, that totally sounded like a high school principal introducing the valedictorians. <laughs> uh, at the very beginning, uh, when Deem says, certain fish, more, ambitions that, more ambitious than the rest, like... <laughs> just some of these fish just had ambitions the other fish were losers like the rest of you and are going to end up in vocational school like that's what it sounded like it was so stupid because i mean it starts with you know i don't know bacteria or the dust of the galaxy and then you see these fish yeah and then the fish crawl out of the water to this boring music and then they become 
this iguana and this lizard and then this dinosaur and then some dinosaurs have the slowest fight ever and then the comet comes and they are dead yeah and i had to do apparently all of these are real dinosaurs like they were depicted scientifically correctly i i looked it up for the time but there's one dinosaur which i don't even know how to describe it I just drew him. There's this Here. little... Uh, I can't see it. There we go. There's this little oh. um, dino <laughs> who is like... He kind yeah. of looks like an almond. That doesn't have any horns. Yeah, and there's a scene <laughs> where they're like, there's other dinosaurs digging in the ground, and this one just kind of lumbers over and looks into what they're digging, and then he steals something. It's not an egg. <laughs> like, what is this little dino? What did he steal? No plot for that because then the T Rex shows up and fucks <laughs> it up. I had my eyes on the screen, but I just think I was in another place. There's, there were, I don't know. There were I some just... weird looking dino animations, but this guy in particular made me made me wonder. <laughs> I love the dramatic last breath of this of the um, Stegosaurus after the tyrant after it gets killed. It just kind of like slowly falls on the ground like a theater student like oh yeah. and it's like judy hops in the beginning of zootopia it's just like oh. yeah and then yeah this whole thing just kind of ends yeah it's just like, it just kind of ended like a fart in a mitten it just kind of went Poop. it's setting you up for the end of the fucking movie where it's like hey remember this feeling of weird disappointment you're gonna find it again yeah but... I have nothing else for the Rite of Spring itself because it was just, but like, I'm even reading the Wikipedia section on it, and all it is is like, they studied these things to make sure it was accurate. They talked to these people to make sure it was accurate. Yeah. They, they talked to these people to make sure that the comet looked look good and to make all the stuff look, look big, but they, they kept the, they can't let down. I, I really Thanks. like this comment on the Disney fandom wiki. Oh, thank right you of for spring. something. No matter how scary is, I feel more sad for dinosaurs. They did not deserve to die for nothing. <laughs> Someone <sighs> replied to it with, I was former, formerly afraid of the T-Rex, but not anymore. I like the one above it from Evan O'Petal. Who is the protagonist of the segment? <laughs> the Stegosaurus could be the protagonist, and we already know the T-Rex isn't evil. Wow, purple Dino Lover coming out here. I know, it is Purple Dino Lover. Apparently, I just found another trivia section. I, I think that the rest of this the podcast is going to be us reading from the Disney fandom wiki. Um, oh, no. <laughs> it's going to... It's going to be that in the 50s, um, in 1955, there was a narrated version of this segment that was shown in schools. And someone down here named Harrison Stoller says, I remember when I saw this with narration. That's how I liked it better. Ooh. Honestly, I could see it as being more interesting narrated. But at the same time, if I were forced to watch this in a darkened classroom on a little, um, you know, 20 inch rolled in tv like a tv on the cart i would fall asleep yeah just it's gonna just... be too cozy <laughs> no it's ugh. 
it's just so slow and i think i think they know it too because literally right after this is the intermission yeah which they then i'm i'm very glad that disney plus did not make us sit for 15 minutes during an intermission but i think it's funny that they were like "Ooh, we gotta do something to make this interesting let's introduce this thing called the soundtrack which i don't know why they didn't call it a sound wave which is what it was actually supposed to represent but they call it a soundtrack and i also would like to understand how this thing was just quote hanging around the place well, I would like to tell you that the wiki says that then a humorlessly styled demonstration of how sound is rendered on film is shown. <laughs> 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 An animated soundtrack character, initially a straight white line, changes into different shapes and colors based on the sounds played. <laughs> I mean, really, doesn't that just kind of describe all of us? Maybe we start out as a straight white line and then depending on our environment, just transform Dang. into a colorful... mass of undulating sound (laughs) Uh, like all those fairies and the nutcracker suite just winging and glittering winging and glittering i want to wing and glitter that sounds like a fun sunday activity wanging and glattering do you have anything else on the rite of spring and or the intermission no (laughs) neither do i um, we decided to split Fantasia into two parts, so the intermission seems like a good time to split it up because the next three numbers are like longer and bigger, I guess. Yeah, they really are. Um, so I believe what what do we have for part two of this? We have Pastoral Symphony, Dance of the Hours, Night on Bald Mountain, slash Ave Maria. Yeah, and they're all pretty long, but they're I like these ones. I like the pastoral symphony that was my favorite when i was young and i liked dance of the hours just because it was like silly and fun mm-hmm. it wasn't anything like oh it was such a smart plot it was more just like we yeah everyone likes a good time yeah honestly all right, <laughs> all right well should we wrap up and uh ramp up for next week yeah let's do it let's all right prepare ourselves for part two of fantasia awesome well thank you all for joining us and goodbye my fellow damsel farewell my fellow damsel Damsels Who Discuss is created and produced by Crow's Nests Podcast. Your hosts are Gally Articola and Alexia Thurumalai. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash damselswhodiscuss, all one word. On Instagram at instagram.com slash damselswhodiscuss, all one word again. And on Twitter at twitter.com slash damselswhodisco, because Twitter has a character limit. Or you can also email us at damselswhodiscuss at gmail.com. So long, Glamour Boys! So long, Glamour Boys! (laughs) 